0: text is from the book of Romans chapter 12 and the verses are 1 and 2. You've memorized these verses probably when you were a child and can quote them from the King James translation. But I'm reading them this morning from the New American Standard so you follow along with me. From Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. I urge you therefore brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect a young seminary student stayed behind one day the class after the class had been dismissed to ask his professor a question the question was how does one find the will of god i think he was expressing verbalizing a concern that many of us have, how how does one find the will of God? Now before I give you the answer that the professor gave his student, I think we need to define the term, the will of God. Probably we're united in our conception that the will of God is something you find once and for all that relates to your vocation. And there is an element of truth in that. Indeed, the will of God is discovering the vocation that God has for you in life. But we have a very limited view of the will of God if that's our only conception of what the will of God is. Now I submit that he was talking here about the day by day, the daily affairs the monotonous affairs, if you will, when he talks about the will of God. And he says, you can prove that the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. And I think those three words really are a description of the will of God. As a matter of fact, the New American Standard captures that idea and says that we may prove what the will of God is that is good and acceptable and perfect, and it describes the will of God. The word good means intrinsically good, good within itself, beneficial. The word acceptable means well-pleasing. And I think that it does not just mean that when you find the will of God, it is pleasing to you, but it is pleasing to God. This will, when we do what he wants us to do or when we make the right choices, it pleases him so that it is pleasing to God. The word perfect means mature. And he says that you can prove what the will of God is. And that word prove means to take two things and prove which is right and which is wrong. See, the great burden of our life is that Almost daily, or almost hourly, we're confronted with choices—two choices—and it's a difficult. It's difficult for us to sometimes really know which choice is beneficial, and which choice pleases God, and which choice is what a mature Christian would choose. And, and he says, "You can know that. Make that choice." which is pleasing to God, which is beneficial both to you and God, and which is the choice a mature Christian would make. Now, let's go back to the question the young theologian asked. How does one find the will of God? And the professor answered, you don't, because the will of God is not lost. Most of us think that the will of God is like, finding the will of God is like some gigantic Easter egg hunt. And I know that there is something that God is pleased with and there is something that a mature Christian should do and there is something that's beneficial and I need to search and find it. Listen to me carefully. The responsibility this morning, it is not my responsibility to find the will of God. It is God's responsibility to reveal his will to me. The will of God is not determined by consideration. It's determined determined by revelation. Now suppose that your child came to you. You called your child to you today and you said, now I want you to do something. I'm going to give you something to do. And if you don't do it, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to come down hard on you. If you don't do what I'm going to ask you to do, if you don't do what I want you to do, you're going to suffer for it. He says, okay, great, I'll do it. I don't want to suffer. What is it? He says, you say, I'm not going to tell you. I've got something for you to do. And if you don't do it, you're going to suffer for it. What is it? I'm not going to tell you. It's up to you to find out what I want you to do. It's up to you to search and find out what I want you to do. Well, wouldn't that be ridiculous? That's exactly the concept we have of the will of God. God has something for us to do. And if I don't do it, I'll suffer the consequences. And I got to find out by some gigantic search what that will of God is. It's not my responsibility to find the will of God. It is God's responsibility to reveal His will to me. Now that leads us to the big problem, to the real problem. Would I know the will of God if I saw it? If I met the will of God tomorrow on the street concerning the day-by-day monotonous affairs of life. Would I know the will of God if I met it face to face? Probably not. I submit that there are very few Christians who have the capacity to know the will of God. Now did you notice that purpose clause in verse two? In order that you may prove, and a purpose clause is said in a verse of scripture to, 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 to say to us that what he wants us to do, he tells us, he tells us what he wants us to do in order that we may do it. The purpose clause is there in order that we might prove that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, what is it that is there that enables us to have the capacity to prove the will of God? Well, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's the way you do it. Now, there's a kind of a formula here I want you to get. Now, I'm not too big on formulas, but I think there's a formula here concerning how to recognize the will of God. It's this. Presentation plus transformation equals revelation. Presentation plus transformation equals revelation. First of all, presentation. Present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. I, I say to you this morning that the only person who is, has the capacity to know the will of God when he sees it is a person who has presented himself to God as a sacrifice. Now most of us, have a fatal tendency, and that fatal tendency is to try to reverse the plan of God. We look at revelation before presentation, and this is what we say, Lord, you reveal your will, and I'll decide if I want to do it or not. In other words, we say, Lord, you show me what to do, and I'll do it. And God says, no, you present yourself to me as a living sacrifice and then I'll reveal it. Has anybody ever said to you, I want you to do me a favor, promise to do me a favor? And you say, okay, what is it? They say, well, you gotta promise me you'll do it before that. Or you say, well, you tell me what it is and then I'll, then I'll see if I can do it or not. They you know, say, well, don't you trust me? It's exactly the way we treat God God, you show me what you want me to do, and then I'll decide if I'm going to do it. And God says, Don't you trust me? For you see, God wants us to operate in individual life and as a congregation. He wants us to operate as a congregation and not as a jury. You know what a jury is? A jury is a group of people who have come together to consider the evidence to see how they're going to respond, how they're, what they're going to decide on the basis of the evidence. God says, I'm not going to give you the evidence until you give me your life as a sacrifice. I'm not going to give you the evidence until you trust me. Suppose this morning I came to each one of you individually and I said to you, In 30 minutes, God's going to ask you to do something. In 30 minutes, God's going to ask you to do something. And I want you to promise right now that you'll do it. Whatever He asks you, you promise right now you'll do it. How many of you would do it? Not very many of us. You know why? Because we've never learned to trust Him. And John says, perfect love casts out fear. My my paraphrase of that is, you don't ever have to be afraid to do what somebody asks you to do if you're absolutely convinced that he loves you. We have never learned to trust God and so we always say, you tell me what it is, you show me, I'll like a jury decide on what I hear if I'm going to do it or not. Now look at the presentation. The word present is a temple term. It means to offer the sacrifice to God. It means to transfer the control over to him. It means to place at his disposal. He, he said, you come and you place, you place at my disposal your body. And he uses the term body because it's a very practical term that describes who and what we are. You know, you can say, well, I can't be there, but my heart will be there. I'll be there in spirit. I've had people say, I can't come to church, but I'll be there in spirit. Well, that doesn't help much. Um, If somebody says that to you and you're out there fighting for your life, just hanging on for your life, I can't be there to help you, but I'll be there in spirit, that doesn't help you much. When you say present your bodies, you're talking about in a very practical way what you are and what you do. In other words, Jesus is saying, you bring me what you are and what you do every day and transfer that control of that over to me. And then I'll begin to reveal my will to you. And the tense is in the aorist, which means that it is a once and for all decision. You know, my, my, I, I never had to ask my father, are we going to church Sunday. I never I can't I can never remember ever asking him that. I mean Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and every time they had revivals I just knew that you know I just checked the schedule and got a revival coming up, we're going to be there. I didn't have to ask him, you know why? Because when I was about five years old, through the death of my brother, my parents made a once and for all decision that they were going to give their life to God and to his church. Let me tell you something. If your kids have to ask you on Saturday, are we going to church tomorrow, then you have failed as a parent. Young people, You have to make a decision once and for all that your body is the temple of God and it's going to be pure and holy. You can't make that decision in the back seat of a car parked on the side of a road on Saturday night. You've got to make that decision once and for all. And so Paul says, you come and you present who you are and what you do to me completely. That's presentation. Then he says, and be not conformed to this world. The word and connects what he's about to say to what he said, and it gives it equal value. In other words, Paul's saying, it's not enough just to present your body as a sacrifice. You must be transformed. And the transformation is equal to the presentation in the revelation of the will of God. Now, the transformation of one's life is both negative and positive in the text. It is negative in this way. It means that we have to renounce the world's standard. Watch this carefully. Be not conformed to this world means that I am allowing my life to be shaped by another standard other than the nature that's inside of me. It means that I am patterning my life after a worldly standard and this worldly standard is really not representative of who I am. Now I am a Christian and Christ lives his life in me and yet I don't act like a Christian because I'm letting the world shape my standards. I'm letting the world shape my values. That's what he means when he says be not conformed to the world. I'm letting the world decide what I do. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed. The word is metamorphosis. It's it's exactly what happened on the transfiguration. You remember when Jesus went up on the mount and there that inner divine nature of God that was veiled in human flesh broke through and began to manifest itself to the disciples shined and and in glory they saw this inner nature manifested, was coming out of them. So being transformed means that I allow the nature of Christ to be demonstrated, to be lived out in me, to to shine in me. It's the word, it's the idea of that old caterpillar one day turning into a butterfly, an old caterpillar turns into a butterfly because that butterfly was in the caterpillar all along and just finally found one day to be released. To be transformed means that one day Christ begins to be released in my life. What a day. What a day that is. Now how does that happen? Well, he says by the renewing of your mind is how the transformation takes place. Now I know we're traveling, we're, we're, on, we're plowing ground that's already been plowed. I mentioned this in a sermon on how to live the victorious life, what it means to have the, the mind renewed. It's like a computer. Our mind is like a computer. The computer is a magnificent instrument. The weakness, the problem of a computer is that it just gives out what, what has been put in. It just gives you back what you put into it. There's a cliche, it says garbage in, garbage out. Now the renewing of your mind means that I begin to put into the mind new thoughts and new ideas, new facts and new information. It's like what happened to Simon Peter on that housetop when God told him, "Take this, take, take this food, this this unclean food, and eat it." And he said, "I'll not so, Lord. I'll not touch what is unclean." He said, "Whatever I've, whatever I've made, whatever I've blessed is never unclean." And what God was doing was was reprogramming his mind so that he'd go over and preach to Cornelius this, this, this Gentile who was unsanctified and unworthy of the gospel. That's the way Peter thought. It took a whole lifetime for God to reprogram Simon Peter's mind. At Caesarea Philippi he said, you're thinking as a man. Now the transformation of the mind means that, that, I, that I begin to reprogram my thought with new facts. And the tense is interesting. The tense of the, of the presentation is once and for all, but the tense of the transformation is linear action, continuous. It means that day after day after day, I have to renounce the world standard and renew my mind. Because you see, we see what we're trained to see. You walk in an art gallery, and, and, and you're, you see what you're trained, your eyes trained to see in that art. You'll see as an artist what I'll never see in art because your eyes trained to see it. Now watch this carefully. The reason why some of us have such a difficult time with discovering, with knowing what the will of God is day by day by day is first that we've never presented our lives to God once and for all, and we're not being daily transformed. That's the secret of the revelation. Now let me tell you three things about that revelation that I'm through. How does God reveal His will to us? I mean, in what ways does God reveal His will? Well, He reveals His will through our desires. Now watch carefully. I believe that the will of God lies over against our desires. I am absolutely certain that God will never lead you to do something that He will not give you the desire to do. Now you say, well, wait a minute. What about Jonah? Jonah was led by God to Nineveh to preach, and he certainly didn't want to go. As a matter of fact, he was so rebellious, he was willing to go and, 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 and spend the rest of his life in the belly of a whale. Well, how does that fit? Well, Jonah wasn't presented to God. He, he wasn't presented to God. Now watch carefully. If you present your life to God once and for all, Some of you say, well, I think I have. I I don't know. Once and for all, you present your life to God and daily are being transformed by renouncing the world standard and by renewing your mind, by by reprogramming your mind, transformation. Then every desire that you have will be a God-given desire. Every desire. You say, well, I'm afraid that if I surrender myself to the will of God, he'll send me to Africa. I used to have that fear. Let me tell you something. If you're presented to God and are being transformed daily, you will have such a burning desire to go to Africa that you would swim there if there's not a boat to take you. I have this honest conviction We have such a distorted concept of God. We think that if if, if I want to do this, it must not be from God. It must be of the flesh. We have this distorted concept that that anything I want to do must be my choice, not God's. I have this deep conviction that if I'm presented to God once and for all, and I'm living the transformed life, that every desire that I have is God-given. So, do you have a desire? How can I know the will of God? Do you have a desire to do this? That leads us to the second. Is there an opportunity to do it? Is there an opportunity? Some people have a desire, never have the opportunity. You say, well, I know some missionaries who have a great desire to go to the mission field. They want to be missionaries, but never, ever got to the mission field. How does that reconcile with the will of God? Well. If I have a desire to do something and I don't have the, the opportunity to do it, I've got to believe then if I'm presented to God and living to transform life, if I have a desire and don't have the opportunity, that, that is an unsanctified desire. And that leads me to the third thing. How can I know the will of God? Do I have a desire? Yes. Do I have an opportunity? Yes then if it's the will of God, if it's not the will of God, he'll put up a barrier along the way. If you have the desire and you have an opportunity to do it, you start down the road to do it. And if it's not the will of God, he'll put up a barrier. Now I want you to get this if you don't get anything else. Something very practical I think will help. If you're presented to God and you're living the transformed life, God will never allow you to miss his will. He will not allow you to miss his will. The only people who, are, who miss the will of God are the people who are not presented to him and are people who are deliberately and willfully not doing the will of God. If you're presented to him, he'll not let you miss his will. So you start down that road to do what God, you feel God leading you to do. And if it's not his will, he'll put a barrier up. Sometimes that barrier is physical. There are a lot of things I'd like to do that I'm not physically able to do. Sometimes that will, sometimes that barrier is material. There are a lot of things I'd like to do, but there are material uh, obstacles. There are material barriers that I cannot overcome, so I've got to assume that that's a barrier God has put there. Sometimes those barriers are spiritual. Listen to me. Colossians 3.15 says, um, man, Colossians, oh, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That scripture just got completely away from me and I've quoted it a thousand times. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And you translate that word rule from the Greek and it's a word that means act as an umpire Wouldn't it be great if you had an umpire inside of you and every time you stepped out of bounds, he blew the whistle? Wouldn't that be great? And you'd always know. Well, you do. Did you know it? You have an umpire inside of you and every time you step across the boundary, he blows his whistle and that umpire is the peace of Christ. So if I move out on my desire and I have an opportunity to do it and I don't have peace in my heart about it, I better back off, I better back off. That happened to me not long ago. I had made a decision that involved some things that relates to my mother's estate. I had made a decision what I was gonna do, but I had not found peace in it. And I decided I was gonna do this and I started out, I got out of my office, and I started out to, to, the, to the bank to do it. And halfway over there, when it, I was walking right over here at the corner of the bank, I, halfway over there, I was, just, I was just overwhelmed by the fact that, that I shouldn't do it this way. I shouldn't do it this way. And so I came back into my office and I, I got out on my knees right there at my desk. I said, Lord, I've prayed about this and I feel that what I'm doing is the right thing and I know that I want to do it this way, but I can't find peace. And so I'm not going to do it this way. That's a true story. If I had done it the way I wanted to do it, my mother would be bankrupt today. I, had, I heard Jack McCarmon, Jack McGarman, my professor at the seminary, tell this story and I'll quit when I'm, it, when I'm through this story. One of the most life-changing stories I've ever heard. It was during a time when I was in the seminary and I was struggling with the will of God concerning the call to, vo- to, to the ministry, vo- vocational ministry. And he told about that in May, he went over to Chile, to visit the missionaries and spent some time in the home of a missionary named Reuben Franks. Reuben Frank, he had three children. He said early one morning on, in, the, in that month of May, they, he said, come with me, Jack, I wanna take you somewhere beautiful. And he said they went up to a, an old beat up car of his, as far as they'd go, then they walked to this high mountain. If you've ever been to Santiago, I'm told that there's this high mountain at this top of this mountain, there's this marvelous statue of the Virgin Mary. And down in the valley, down below, people can look up every day and see that statue of the Virgin Mary. And he said that we were standing there and he said, Reuben Frank told me, he said, God led me to this nation. Jack, down there in that valley, there are too many people, two million people that have never heard of Jesus. And I've come to tell about Christ. He said they prayed. Early in the morning, he said, I don't know how long we prayed, but he said, when I when we raised up our heads from prayer, said the sun was just coming over the snow-capped Andes Mountains. That was in May. In June, Reuben Frank went to his annual checkup that missionaries have to have, and the doctor found something that caused him to send him back to America immediately. That was in June. When he got back to the United States, he went through a series, a battery of tests, and found that he had a malignant cancer, malignant tumor. That was in July on the 9th of August, Reuben Franks was dead. Just before his death, he wrote Jack McGarmon a letter. The letter said something like this, I've got it in my office. It said, Jack, you remember that day we stood out on the mountain and claimed Santiago, Chile for Christ, firmly convinced that this is the will of God for my life. And he said, now I'm lying in a hospital bed in the United States thousands of miles removed from where I thought was God's will for me and I'm dying of cancer and he said, Jack I'm convinced that in May God's will for me was to be in Santiago Chile on August the 1st of this year I'm convinced that it's the will of God for me to be here and he said, I have tested the will of God day after day after day and I have found that the will of God is beneficial is pleasing to Him and is what a mature Christian ought to do. Would you pray with me? Father we're confronted with two choices today the choice Choices that confront and con, that, con, that, that encounter us are choices that involve what is beneficial, pleasing to you and to us, what is a mature decision. I pray this morning that in this place, each one of us would do your will. Because I pray in Jesus' name. Now for some of you this morning, the will of God is in His Word. It's plain and simple. His will for you is that you give your heart and life to Him, publicly declare your faith, and be baptized. That's His will for you. That never changes. That's in His Word. You don't have to worry about that. His will for you is that you give your heart and life to Him in salvation. Repent of your sin. Come forward publicly and be baptized. There are some of us here this morning who who do not have the capacity to know the will of God and so we're just kind of lost out there. You've never presented yourself to God once and for all. Between Knox City, Texas and O'Brien, Texas, two little towns in West Texas, when I was a senior in high school, I'd already saved. I was riding along my little 48 Chevrolet Margaret with me? And we were talking about some of the things that, that I thought was so cool and I was involved in. And we, discussing and talking together, decided that's not what we either, either one of us wanted. And I made a decision once and for all to give my life to Christ, motoring along there. I could take you to the very spot I made a once and for all decision to give my life to Christ. I didn't know where that was going to lead me, but I did it. Some of you have never made that once for all decision. You're just weak like a roller coaster. You may want to come this morning to say, I want to present myself to God once and for all. And I want to begin to live the transformed life. There's some of you this morning that, that God's will is for you to join this church. You felt that inside. The decision to come must be made today. It's His will, you do it. Let's stand and sing, you come.